The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. This is Carl J. Cox. I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where we talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. At 40 Strategy, what we do is we help organizations come up with their strategic plan and actually help them realize and achieve their dreams. Mike, basically, we help companies actually create that specific strategic plan for the first time, and then they actually measure the right KPIs for success. You may not be familiar with this, but only 10% of organizations actually complete two-thirds of their strategic objectives. And I don't know about you, Mike, but I thought that was pretty crazy when I heard that for the first time. That is pretty crazy. So with that, at 40 Strategy, your success is our passion. And so what we do is we help organizations come up with the right KPIs for success. Harvard Business Review says if you actually do the right KPIs and focus on them, you have a triple likelihood of being more successful than everybody else. So with that, if you want to connect us, you can reach us out, reach out at catch at 40strategy.com, or you may go to our website at 40strategy.com. And with that, uh, before we talk about our guests, Mike, um, we're going to uh, just do a quick little shout out to uh, a mutual friend of ours whose name is John Foster. Uh, John Foster, you may remember from a previous podcast, I had challenged him to run our first marathon, and I'll use this also opportunity to say... Um, you're going to see a bunch of videos of raw footage of me doing messages to John Foster as I'm the end of runs. And it's pretty pathetic, but pretty funny and hilarious all at the same time. So I hope you enjoy uh, that. That's going to be a pretty transparent and vulnerable. I'm not used to actually that part. Um, and, and so anyways, I hope you enjoy all of that that's taking place. And that leads us to our guest, Mike. And, and actually, Mike happens to be a uh, running enthusiast as well. So we, we should have actually listened to Mike as we started training for this marathon. Um, so what Mike uh, background and experience is he has, he's a man of many trades. He's the instructor at Salt Solutions and co coaching actuaries. He's the owner of Mud Mixer and Red Dog Mobile Shelters. He has a math degree and he's been a running coach for 14 years in an organization called Sovereign Grace Running. And so with that, uh, Mike, welcome to the show. Great. Thanks for having me. You bet. So Mike, tell us a little bit. Um, we're going to talk about a few of your different businesses. Of course, you have. You said kind of top of mind for you right now is Mud Mixer and getting that business up and running. Tell the audience a little bit more. What is Mud Mixer and what do you do? Yeah, Mud Mixer is a business venture I've been in for about three years. And so we have designed a concrete mixer that we think is a lot better than those barrel mixers that you see out there. Uh, with those barrel mixers, you have to throw the quickcrete in there, throw the water in there, mix it up, then dump it in a wheelbarrow, and then take it in the wheelbarrow where you want it to go. Uh, well, a, a buddy of mine had came up with a better solution for that. So he pitched it to me. And so I took the idea and we turned it into a business, um, but it was a 
painstakingly slow business as most new ventures are. Uh, so we spent probably a year and a half just in the prototype stage trying to figure out how can you make concrete mix better because we wanted to make it easy for the users. Uh, we wanted to make it mix right all the time and just really save people time when they're having to do these concrete jobs. But uh, just getting concrete to mix right uh, is a challenge. Uh, so that's why we spent so long doing that. Um, then we had to figure out how to manufacture it. And all of this was relatively new for me because I had lived my world in spreadsheets. Uh, being an actuary by training, I, I love numbers and I love moving them around on a spreadsheet. Well, that is super easy to do and super easy to make changes. But when you want to make changes to a concrete mixer, it takes a lot longer. Um, you actually have a physical product there that you got to got to deal with. Uh, so that that was a good learning experience for me of how long it takes to get a physical product to market. But we actually have arrived. And so we started selling it just a couple months ago. So we're super excited to get it out there in the market and and see if it can help people when they're mixing concrete out there. Uh, first of all, congratulations. And, and what a challenging part of, of getting a new business uh, off the ground and running, especially as you said, the physical part. Um, you had mentioned earlier when we were kind of pre-talking before us, this is, is, you know, like a lot of things, COVID has been a challenge with supply chain and, and getting things to ship. So tell, tell the audience a little bit about some of the challenges you've been facing and um, how have you helped overcome some of those obstacles you've dealt with? Yeah, it's, it's been quite the challenge. In fact, I went over to China in January of 2020. So I went over there with John Foster. So, so we, we were over there together. We didn't even know COVID was really a thing. Um, and then we flew back. And I think it was just a week or two after we got back is when they shut down the flights to China. So we uh, barely got out before that hit. Um, so it was already, I would say, a challenging business for me just because I was new at it and, and was surprised how long things took to go from idea and concept to actual product. So then once COVID hit, just everything slowed down. Um, there weren't as many workers um, at factories. Certainly the shipping woes are well known with everyone, and that's, that's been hard. So I think it really taught us, though, a lot of patience. Um, and so as if we hadn't had some of those lessons before that it's way more important in business to get something right uh, than it is to get something earlier on time. Um, and so, so we were okay with that, that even though we couldn't get the product made as fast as we wanted, we couldn't get it shipped over here as fast as we wanted. Um, we knew 10 years, 10 years from now, we're not going to say, wow, we wish we had this in 2020 instead of 2021. Uh, that's not going to make a difference. Um, but what is going to make a difference is the product that we ultimately introduced to the market is correct. Um, so I think I think we were okay just to wait. It was also one of those things that was totally out of your control. We we could not fix COVID. We could not fix the shipping problems. We could not fix the docking problems. So to none of it was anything we could fix. So there wasn't any point in worrying about it. Because uh, because you just you couldn't do anything about it. You just had to sit back and wait. So we tried to make it productive by then still working with the machine, tweaking it, making it better and better. Um, so so we tried to be productive there, but not stressing that we really were probably a year late in our launch uh, compared to what we wanted to be. So that was okay. Um, cost went up uh, dramatically in, in shipping cost as as they did with other uh, people, but. You know, we we just had to roll with those punches. Um, so you you can't you can't find a shipping company that's going to give it to you cheaper. 
So you just, you absorb that cost and you move forward. So that, that, that was a challenge, but I would say the big lesson out of that was patience. And I think just in life in general, people have had to learn that lesson with COVID that you can make plans next month, but you have no idea if it's going to happen. Um, and so that's exactly what happened in our business, um, that we, we can make plans, but we didn't know, we didn't know if a trade show we were going to, was it going to happen or was it not going to happen? Um, so you just had, you just had to roll with it. I appreciate your story. I, I, I did not remember the, the January trip that John, you know, I didn't realize you both went out there. And um, in March, I was actually in Washington, D.C. And, and walking on the Hill and doing lobbying for the uh, Manufacturing Extension Partnership, uh, OMAP. And we were shaking hands with people. It was like the very beginning. And, but it was interesting. The first stimulus package was just getting signed. And we had met with Senator Merkley. We were meeting with him at the time. He said, yeah, I just, just left the meeting with Vice President Pence. Sorry for being late. We're getting ready to sign our first stimulus. And it, wow. and it was just, just at that time, some of the people said, we're starting to wash their hands or fist bump. Like it was like, right. it was that stage. And, <laughs> uh, you know, what, what just a few weeks later, everything shut down. And um, I had eight trips, I think, uh, canceled at that point. And it was uh, pretty mind-blowing. So I think that's a really good learning lesson, right, is, is learning how to ad adopt and adjust to the things that we just can't control. Yeah. And it's not worth getting over, angry over it, even though we can, it doesn't, not going to change it. Right. And, sure. um, and, and so then how do we adjust? And I think uh, helping to overcome those obstacles is, is huge. I, I'm curious about your product itself. And once again, helping for the listeners and different thing, how much better, faster, quicker, more effective is your process tool compared to the standard methods that people are using? Sure, sure. And uh, full disclaimer, I'm biased that I think ours is a lot better. Um, of course, of course. It be in this business. Um, but what we did with the barrel mixer, you end up throwing stuff in their materials, batch mixing it, and then putting in the wheelbarrow and taking it over. So you're doing things in stages. Uh, what, what we were able to do with this mud mixer is we were able to create a continuous concrete mixer that's about the size of a wheelbarrow. So it never stops pushing out concrete. Uh, so mm -hmm. we'll do about a yard of concrete every hour. So it's about 45, 80 pound bags every hour. And all you have to do is just keep dropping the bag on top. Um, because we found there was just a lot of inefficiencies and, and quite frankly, a lot of hard work. Uh, some people actually are mixing it in the wheelbarrow with the hoe and shovel and stuff. And that's just backbreaking work. But uh, we set up something where literally you're just holding the quick crate bag at waist height, dropping it, and then it splits it open. The dry powder goes in. You screw a water hose into it, you plug it in, and you just get a steady stream of concrete going out. So it's almost like you have your little mini concrete mixer uh, that's right on the job site um, that you can just keep pushing that uh, mix right into the, the pour or the, that you have there. Uh, so it re really was designed to make it simpler. So you can now do a project that maybe it took three people before. Maybe it's now a one-person project. Um, wow. so, so it's just a lot. Uh, simpler. So it's easier and it's faster. Um, so it's a, we had one of our customers say it almost made doing concrete work fun. Uh, wow. I, I think that's quite the stretch. <laughs> almost, keyword, almost. almost. Almost made it fun. That's fascinating. A three to one savings of labor, right? So, and then, right. and then faster, more continuous as opposed to a batch method, which is more traditional, right? right. And um, that, so it, 
who who are your customers in this? Are the customers construction companies or who? Yeah, yeah, the customers are really smaller uh, contractors. Uh, They're doing jobs. So we're not trying to replace the big concrete trucks. So if you're pouring a foundation for a house, you don't want to do it one bag of quickcrete at a time. So you're not doing that. But if you're doing a back patio, um, you're doing a section of a sidewalk. Uh, We even have some plumbers, if they're having to do something in the basement of a house, they have to tear out concrete and then they got to pour it back. I mean, it's an ideal situation for that. Uh, For people that are pouring pads, like for air conditioning units, um, it's ideal for that. So really, it's ideal for anyone that's using bagged quickcrete or shackcrete or something like that. So if you're using a bagged quickcrete, a concrete product, um, then this is really, really for you. So 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 it is for those small contractors. Then it's also for the do-it-yourselfers. Um, so if they're doing a weekend project and, you know, it's just backbreaking work if you're trying to pour concrete. So, so now you can go rent this, uh, use it for the day, and then it, it's just going to make your job that much easier. So, so we think it's really those, those are our two target markets, uh, both the do-it-yourselfers on the weekend and then the, the small contractors. And, and so how is this being sold today? What's the kind of delivery method, so to speak, to get, yeah. getting to the, to the customer? Yeah, yeah. So we so we uh, started out, of course, with online. I say, of course, was most people with online sales because because you don't have any distributors, so you got to start somewhere. So we have it on our website; you can order it. Uh, but we never intended to be there very long because this is a it's about 150 pounds, and so it's not something that's easy just to, to ship out. So we thought it made a lot more sense to be at a distribution center. Uh, so now we uh, just started marketing it through GNE, uh, which is a sister company of Northern Tools. Uh, so they have a wide range of dealers that they sell to. Um, Home Depot's uh, gonna come online in the next couple of weeks, um, wow. not in the retail stores, but in the Home Depot online and in their quote center markets. So we're excited about that. Um, and then we got some others that we're working on that we think are gonna come a little bit later. So, so we're definitely getting the word out there and you need those partners to, to be able to spread the word on a product like this. Yeah, wow, that's uh, super exciting. That's, that's a really exciting uh, path that you're heading towards. and. Um, it's great to hear how, once again, the patience, right? You know, because I'm assuming a lot of people would have potentially quit, right? You know, you get to a certain part and they're like, oh, I'm not going to do it. But now here you are and you're getting into one of the big box stores through, you know, once again, through distribution, through different areas. But what a what a, what an opportunity you have. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll do another shout out to John Foster. I know we're not supposed to maybe do that the whole podcast, but uh, uh, John has been a lifesaver for me in this business because I can talk to him openly and honestly and say, you know, John, is this just the way it is in this type of business? Because I was from that online spreadsheet type business and I just didn't have to deal with stuff like this. And so, you know, John, does it normally take three months to get this done? And he said, you know, yeah, it does. Uh, so, so that was very comforting to me to know that, okay, this is just part of that business cycle and you just can't rush it. Um, you, you've got to wait through that process. So that was good to have somebody that had some expertise in the manufacturing world. So I, I was, I'm curious about um, Red Dog Mobile Shelters, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about that business that you have. Yeah, yeah. Red Dog Mobile Shelters was actually an invention of a friend of mine and the same one that co-invented the mud mixer. Uh, so, so it's interesting over my business career, I've been self-employed over 20 years. And I've never had an idea myself. Uh, I am just not an original idea person. Uh, what I like to do is take somebody's idea and then turn it into a business. Uh, so I can come up with the strategic direction and actually get you from A to B. 
Um, but in terms of coming up with that off the wall original idea, that that's just not me. Um, to, to this guy was approached by one of the large oil companies and said, hey, can you design a tornado shelter for us that we can move from worksite to worksite because they only stay on a pad for 30 or 60 days. So we need it to withstand an F5 tornado, but we don't want it anchored to the ground. Mm -hmm. uh, so that that was a challenge. Well, um, Oscar, my friend, his answer is always, yes, I can do that. And then later he'll figure out how he's going to do it. And wow. a brilliant guy, a super nice guy. So he came up with the design. So he created an aerodynamically anchored tornado shelter. Um, so he just super, super neat idea. So it's really analogous to the curved wing on a Boeing airplane. So when the wind blows over that curved surface, it actually lifts the airplane off the ground. Uh, so it creates that area of low pressure. Well, what Oscar did is he said, well, I'm going to create a tornado shelter that has a curved surface on the top. And then I'm going to put a hole at the top of it with a column that goes through the shelter. And then there's about a six inch subfloor that's underneath it. So when the air blows over it, it actually sucks out the air from the subfloor. So then it's just like a giant suction cup holding itself to the ground. Wow. So, so the harder the wind blows in a tornado, the more it holds itself to the ground. So it was a, just a brilliant design that nobody had come up with. So then we were able to have these tornado shelters that are good for 32 workers at a time. Um, and then uh, they can just move it from site to site and they don't have to like put a concrete pad or they don't have to put any anchors or anything to the ground. So it's, it's a super mobile tornado shelter, but it does withstand a tornado. So it was, it was a good design. So we rented out to those in the primarily oil and gas sector, but also to a construction sites, anybody that needs a tornado shelter on a temporary basis. Um, mm. So that, that's really what our shelter is designed for. And how many people does it hold? Was it designed to hold? Yeah, it holds 32. Um, wow. so, yeah, yeah. So there's it's a uh, five square feet per person, which is what's required uh, on commercial tornado shelters. So it's 160 square feet. Wow. Okay. Okay. So 160. So what's the what's the general dimensions of it? It's then? eight feet by 20 feet. So it, it actually okay. looks like a giant mailbox. Um, so that's, <laughs> that's what it is. And of course, it's painted red. Um, and the, the name actually came from Oscar. He had a red dog. And so he called it Red Dog Mobile Shelters. And actually, our uh, logo that we have is a picture of his red dog Snickers. So that's that's what was there. That's awesome. I had prior to the I had asked where that name had come from Red Dog. I was, I was super curious because my I told you my mom had worked in a mining camp. She was one of two women of 500 people that was working at this mining camp and uh, pretty high part of Alaska, a uh, very, very remote area. And, um, but, uh, no, it's named after the dog. So <laughs> the that's awesome. The color dog. That's awesome. <laughs> um, very cool. So, okay. You have, you have the, these two businesses, you've been an instructor. It sounds like for multiple different areas. Tell me a little bit about being an instructor, uh, sovereign grace running. What, what is that about? Um, how, how do you get into that? Yeah, so we, we started Sovereign Grace uh, running about 14 years ago, and we had some friends that had moved up from Atlanta, and they said that uh, our kids were on a homeschool running team down in Georgia, and so why don't we start one in Nashville, uh, Tennessee? Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, well, let's start one. At first, we thought it would just be a few families, um, but we ended up with some more interest than we had, so we had about 25 to 30 kids on the team the first year. Uh, then it's just steadily grown since then. So it is a homeschool running team for both middle school and high school. And we have over 100 kids on the team this year. 
So it is, it is just an army of kids. We practice from 6.30 to 8 in the morning. And I think that is no small feat that you get teenagers to show up at 6.30 in the morning, three days a week. Um, but, wow. but they do it because they, they love hanging out with their teammates and they work hard at practice. I mean, cross-country practices are just hard. Um, there's, there's no other word for it, but uh, uh, they really do enjoy pushing each other. And I find the, the coaching that I do at practice is not terribly different than the coaching I do when I'm running my businesses. Um, mm. You're still trying to motivate people. You're trying to set a clear direction for them. Um, you're trying to make it where they can achieve their goals. Uh, so, so it's it's amazing how many analogies I can use from my running coaching to my uh, at coaching actuaries. Uh, so we we coach actuaries to help them pass the exams. So we have quite a few people, and I I manage them up there. So just working with them and trying to motivate them, just like I do uh, the runners on the team. So it's just neat that uh, how all those experiences play into each other. So give give an example of um, a strategy, if you may you know, that, that is, would be like a consistent strategy. Obviously it's specific to running that, that you do to help keep to work for lack of a better term. Yeah. I, I would say in running in particular, you mentioned, you know, you're training for a marathon, a, a marathon is not a short training process. Uh, so you can train anywhere from, you know, three to six months. Typically you're going to train uh, for a marathon. Well, you have to follow a plan and you have to stay disciplined if you're going to do it. So when I'm coaching the kids on the team, we start practice at the end of July. Um, I tell them we're not trying to set your 5K PR in July or August, that that's not the goal. We're laying the foundation so that as we get later into the season, we're going to peak you at the right time. So you have to patiently follow that process to get to the desired end goal that you have. Uh, Well, the, the exact same thing is true in business. You can't start a business and say, okay, I just, tomorrow, I want to have that success. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's not going to come tomorrow, but you've got to go through the steps in that process to be able to get to a likely point of success at the end. So it's looking at it for the long haul. So that, that's why I think training for distance running and running a business are just, just kind of go hand in hand like that. And if, and if you do try to rush it, so in running, if you try and rush it, you're going to get shin splints. <laughs> so, uh, and that is to you again, John Foster. Your ears better be ringing during this That's podcast right. as it gets released. Yeah, John, yeah. you can't just run 13 miles and think you're going to run it every single day, buddy. Uh, no. Which you did, but you um, yeah, no, it's it's great because I I think I what's going to share with you and forgive me my own person, but there's very, very, it's so funny, the synergies and timing of this particular uh, podcast we're recording. Um, I, I am training as you know, the marathon in March. So I had come off of a, in, in September, I had a, my appendix burst and uh, but it was in Centralia. So it was halfway between Portland, and Seattle, not my home. And um, it had burst. I was in the hospital for a week. Um, it was pretty nasty and, and took me three months to fully recover. And I'd failed the previous two years to run a marathon. Um, and so this third time, I'm like, okay, I'm going to get this done. And so I pulled in the Hal Higdon marathon training, which is pretty well known in marathon circles. And, and the funny part was, Mike, is I, I was like, well, hey, I can do novice one. So I, of course, I failed to read the book. I went straight to the back, went to the appendix. I'm like, oh, well, first day is Tuesday. I just have to run three miles. And, and so 
as I, I just literally watched my first video that I sent to John on this and I'd run, I would attempt to run three miles while I had got stopped at a stop sign about 2.6 miles into it. And all of a sudden everything fell apart. (laughs) It was like my legs were spaghetti. You know, my knee was hurting. I barely actually was able to finish the three miles and it took me like three to four weeks to finally get into the novice one. And it was, it wasn't until after I'd read, they said, no, no, no. You typically have to be running for three to six months to get to novice one. Right. Oops. You know? So yeah, it's, it's great. Anyways, the, these funny things of, you know, you can't get to these places overnight, right. No. You know, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta build up over time, you know, your, your endurance, your strength. Um, and, and I appreciate, cause the same things for business, you know, I, I, I probably like you, you know, you, you see or read or even, yeah, the own person says, oh, you're an overnight success. And it's like, you, you didn't see the blood, sweat and tears I've done the past right. decade, you know, helping to build this business. That is, that is absolutely true that uh, people, people don't see your business until it is successful. And right. so then they just think it was always that way. But, uh, but you're right. There's a lot that goes into it well before anybody's going to know about it. So let's talk a little bit more on the personal side for you. Um, so once again, my experience has been when, when people have things going on, you have multiple businesses you're running, you've been successfully been able to be self-employed for you know, over 20 years. Congratulations to you. I think that should be an um, encouragement to those who are thinking, if you aren't already out there, if you're thinking about going in and, and doing things on your own. Um, but for you, on your personal side, what do you do? Keep that energy to be managing so many different things and to have the poise to um, create these businesses. So, so tell me, tell the audience a little bit about your, if you may, a brief of personal life. But how do you keep yourself uh, focused so you can do a good good job there? Yeah, yeah. I'd say first, it's it's my my faith in God that that keeps me focused, keeps me grounded on what's most important. Um, also, I've, I've got a great wife. Um, Bonnie and I are going to be married 31 years uh, this year, and she's been a great support uh, through all of this, uh, through all of the crazy ventures uh, that I've been on, uh, which all don't succeed. Some some fail, uh, some succeed. But I, I would say one thing I've decided maybe the last 10 or 15 years is that I'm not as concerned to what particular business I'm in. I'm way more concerned who I'm doing it with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so that's why I'm in a variety of businesses from teaching actuaries to teaching CFA candidates uh, to tort mobile tornado shelters to running coach to a concrete mixer. All of those are varied businesses, but what they all have in common is I've got a very qualified group of people that I'm working with. So I, I really uh, only work with friends and family. Um, and so even if I start out working with someone that's not a friend, they're going to become a friend. Um, so just like John Foster. Uh, he and I, I would say now are friends first, and then we're you know business partners after that. And so that's super important as you go through life that um, you're not just chasing money or something like that. You're, you're doing something because you want it to be good for other people and you want to enjoy the journey uh, that you have along the way. So don't, don't just look at the destination that you're trying to get there and enjoy what you're going through along the way. So I I, I definitely would encourage people to, to really think carefully who you want to be in business with, what type of customers you want to work with, um, because that can make all the difference in your career. Uh, I appreciate you sharing a bit about your faith and, and, and secondly, your marriage. Congratulations at, at getting to that. It's, it's, 
um, no easy task to do it the right way, you know, to, to get through. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's the right thing, right. When we could pull it off and get through the, the trials and tribulations, right. Of marriage and, and have that successfully be at that state. Um, but you, you're talking about something that's really important is that first who, then what, you know, if you find the right people to partner with, I mean, you start with the beginning of, you, you know, you're generally not the, the innovator, so to speak. Right. Um, but you've partnered with people who have created good ideas and you can help them get it to market and you can help them create value in the marketplace. Right. Cause an idea left on a vine is just dead fruit, you know? Right. Um, but if you can actually clip it and, you know, um, have it ripen to, to be something and, and keep on planning it year after year is when the real value ends up uh, happening. So, um, no, I appreciate you sharing that on, on a personal level. So Mike, one of the things I love to ask people is, so what, what's a book that you recommend for our audience um, that you'd suggest or recommend that they should be reading? Yep. Yep. Well, I'll give you a couple of recommendations. Uh, one, I can actually see it right behind you. Good to great. Uh, I, I think that's a great message behind that, um, that, you know, you really got to focus on something if you want to make it great and not just good. And a lot of times in business, that means saying no to good things so that you can get to something great. Uh, so you do have to have that discipline in business. And another one I really like, it's a really short book. Um, it's called Just Do Something by Kevin DeYoung. Um, and it's a book that I've used actually in uh, teaching some of the kids that I coach because it's probably primarily written to older teens or young adults. Um, but it was really getting at the idea that sometimes people just sit around and don't make a decision because they're waiting for uh, this epiphany to come to them that says, okay, this is exactly what you're supposed to do. And so what it's telling you is, hey, you already know in general what you're supposed to be doing. So just go do something. Um, so don't don't just sit around and think about what you might do. So I thought that was a good book uh, because I think that is a little bit in our culture to talk a lot about things, but not actually start and do something. So a lot of people will talk to me about, uh, hey, I want to I want to start my own business. Well, don't just keep talking about it. You've got to make that first step and do it. Um, and so, so I would just encourage people to take that first step. Love it. I, I, I didn't know if you noticed this book behind me, start by John Acuff. Um, oh yeah. You know, that's a similar type book is we are so fearful of trying something and moving forward. And, um, matter of fact, it's, it's in one of my stage, it's, it is a silly stage of strategic planning and execution, but of, of the research we did only 20% of organizations actually start their strategic initiatives on time. Wow. You know, so they literally fail before we even start almost right. by definition, right? Because the a fear or not doing that, we're not focusing the right thing, not, you know, assigning the right people, not being clear as to what you want to accomplish. And um, yeah, it, it's, it, it's not easy once again, to do what you've done. And, and, and we mentioned that encouragement we should have for people. It can be done, but it's not easy. You gotta, right. you gotta have the, the patience and um, you know, like myself, I, you know, I, I've moonlighted multiple times throughout my career to get another business going. So while I'm doing my day job, I'm working another night job because right. you got to pay the bills in between, right? And yep. and so when people go, well, they they're just lucky. It's like it wasn't luck, to, <laughs> you know, to, to put in that time overnight, you know, and, and and take the risk, right? Where your spouse is like, yeah, I'm going to leave my good paying job and this and. Right. Not get an extra regular paycheck to to try something at a risk. So so once again, congratulations for you, and I appreciate the recommendations for the books that you had yep. there. So how how can people? Where would be a great place to find out more about either one of the businesses or or about you? 
Yeah, uh, definitely. You could find me on LinkedIn, uh, just Mike Carmody on LinkedIn. Um, so then you can see the different uh, businesses that I'm in um, for the concrete mixer business we talked about. It's just mudmixer.com. Uh, so if you're interested in that, uh, they have some cool videos on there. Uh, and also the Red Dog Mobile Shelters, if you're just interested in how a tornado shelter is aerodynamic. Um, so that, that, was, that was pretty cool. And I know this is a much smaller segment of the population, but if you want to take an actuarial exam or you want to take the CFA charter holder exam, uh, then you can either go to coaching actuaries or salt solutions. So we think we've got some good uh, test prep material for you there. Uh, that, thank you. Thank you for sharing all that you do. I think it's incredible that you're involved in so many distinct uh, and unique businesses, uh, really a, a lot, incredible story of an entrepreneur and, and being able to do that successfully. So, uh, Mike, this has been really special uh, to be able to listen to you. And, and uh, so thank you for being on the show today, Mike. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it, Carl. You bet. And to everyone else, we're wishing you the very best at measuring your success. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.